Blog Talk Radio. This is One on One with Jasper Cole, Hollywood's bad guy, and so much more. Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Howdy, everyone. Welcome to another edition of One-on-One with Jasper Cole. This is Mr. Jasper Cole coming to you live from the <laughs> balmy Palm Springs, California. I think it's going to be 118 today, but who's really counting? It's a, dr- it's a dry heat, and so is a sauna. Who the fuck wants to live in one? But anyway, I feel young here because I'm only 57 and everyone else is dying. But anyway, listen, everyone, please follow us on uh, all of the platforms, one-on-one J. Cole. You can go to jaspercole.com. It's just too much Jasper Cole. But listen, we have such a special show today. I want to bring on my co-host, very trusted, Mr. Ralph Cole Jr. Hey, Ralph. The only trouble is oh we really, really oh. don't have the time. We've wow. got one night only, one okay. night only. Welcome, Lois Bromfield. One night only. Yes, hey. Oh, Jasper, thank you for the wonderful welcome. I am glad to be here. Happy Thursday to all our listeners to Planet Eartha. You know, the show's only 60 minutes, Ralph. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. I mean, come oh. on. Talk about pulling focus. So, everyone, listen. We have a very special, amazing guest t- tonight. I-, I just finished her new book, My Dirty Life in Comedy. And boy, has it ever been. Kaboom. All right. But no, right. she has had an amazing life. She is a stand up, she's a writer, a producer. She's now an author with her first book. Everyone, please welcome the hilarious Lois Bromfield. I love this. I would love to have that in my bedroom, that music and that applause. <laughs> and the applause. <laughs> and that pretzel. The pretzel and, the, and yeah. the music sounds perfect together. Oh my right God. After this sex, is sex, yes. Yeah, right after sex, which lasts about three. Well, you know, I'm 66 now, so oh, I mean, sex come on. is possible. What the fuck? I'm just an old, an old, an, I'm literally now an old lesbian. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. You're like Route 66. I yes, am. Sure. I am Route 66. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird well, age. It's a weird age. Well, I, I'm, uh, I've been married so long. I always say sex to me is like there better be a, a real estate deed on the nightstand at this point because I, I can't be bothered. <laughs> Seriously, come on now. Yeah, but, it's a lot. We've, but, but we've been together 14 years, and she's really great, but I always say to her, shouldn't we have sex sometime, like Wednesday? And she says, oh, I don't know, sweetheart. We have to go to sleep now. I'm too tired. Okay. So, <laughs> an accent. And I just fall well, for it every time. So eight years later, no, it's fine. Well, listen, everyone, you can follow uh, Lois on Instagram, at Lois.Bromfield, and her new book is available on Amazon, and, and I'm, I'm assuming – where on all the platforms, Lois, or where's yeah. the best place? To, yeah, the Amazon is the best place to get it. It's also at Barnes and Noble, but you know, Barnes and Noble just—I just can't imagine it's doing well there because they have such beautiful books all about you know growing plants and flowers, and then a, a, a you know a book about my vagina in the '80s. 
just can't imagine that, that people are flocking to do, you know, to the website going, oh, let's look at something for somebody's old vagina instead of like how to grow a, a petunia. So I don't know <laughs> where Noble has it, but but um, it is available there. You know, if you have a mood swing and you want to buy something fun to read. Well, but, uh, Lois, you know, your vagina might be blossoming <laughs> like a flower. So it it's, really, it's really in an appropriate section at Barnes and Noble. You know, it's like, well, mother, Lois, yes, mother, exactly. let's just get what is this book here, mother? <laughs> Look at this lady on the front. What is this? What is this about? Then you know the best part of that book, though, honestly, was when I was writing. I said, "What do you think?" Um, oh God, what is it called? What do you think a glory hole is? And she, oh. I'll never forget it, you guys. She said to me, "I think she took a long pot." My my partner's super smart. She's smart. She's educated, and she she knows me now. She knows me completely. And she looked at me for a long time, sitting at her desk, and she looked at me and she said, "Um, a glory hole." Is the thing Jesus wore on his head. I laughed. I laughed, <laughs> I laughed so hard. And I said, you know what? I'm putting that in the book. That is so great. Oh it is just great. My she, God. You know, she's, she's super smart, but that was just like came out of a, like came out of an eight year old's mouth. The way she said it, it was so sweet. Yeah, I love perfect, it. That's a perfect uh, gay pride month of June celebration. <laughs> what, what is the glory hole? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know, you're you're speaking your your vagina. The book pretty much, uh, I think we use the word pussy throughout the whole book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by the, by the end of the book, I've never loved pussy more than uh, <laughs> after reading your book. Oh yeah. I I want to let everyone know. So so Lois, um, this is going to be this is your life. But Lois okay. is, is Canadian, and of course we all love Canadians. You know, America, we have this like love fest with Canadians and. I, I love the fact that um, you, you come from this really great, stable family in uh, in Toronto. Um, your sister Valerie is an actress, and is Valerie still acting, or is she has she no? Left? She's retired, but she did time. Yeah, she did. She was doing she was doing movies and, and working with Lily Tomlin way before I came onto the scene in L.A. My sister has a, an amazing background in show business and Second City. She started in Second City in Toronto. Yeah, Valerie has a, Valerie's done a lot. So now she lives in Massachusetts, and she's a therapist, which is great. So oh, and perfect. She's in her 70s already, but Valerie did well. And my brother also was a film director. Everybody got into show business. You know, we all did the same kind of thing. Well, be, you were the young. You were the youngest. Were you inspired? Yeah. I guess you were inspired watching, uh, watching them start their career. Also, yeah, because they. My sister was doing theater when I was a kid, and my brother. I mean, they all left home pretty early. We all left home really fast, and my father was such an asshole. But we, mm. you know, enjoy your day. Happy Father's Day. Um, but, um, <laughs> but he was. So we all got away from him. And I think it was really hard because none of us wanted to stay in school. You know, if you don't, if you don't stay in school and get a degree in anything, you just have to say to yourself, I'm going to go into show business maybe or do something that has something to do with my talent instead of uh, education, a big formal education. But, um, yeah, my sister totally influenced me. I mean, I really... I really look up to her. I do. Even now, even now that it's, we're both, I'm not still doing uh, performing, but she's not doing it at all. And she always says to me, I send her my stand-up, when I, she looks at my stand-up, <clears throat> and she says, oh my God, you're so fucking funny. It's so good. She's, <laughs> I mean, she says that to me, it means a lot. It's a big deal. So Well, I, it's I really kind of nice that you, you kind of had uh, different careers. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you were, you, you did the stand-up and led you into writing and producing, and she was, definitely doing the comedy more sketch and film and TV. 
but you tell a great story in the book about how you, when you first moved to New York, uh, thankfully because of the second city connections, you were, you, you knew Dan Aykroyd who sort of took you under his wing yeah. when you yeah. arrived in, in New York. And you mentioned in the book too, which I find interesting, a lot of Canadians and you talk about how there's something about, you have to go to the U.S. Like there's this need to go and, yeah. and quote, make it here, right? Talk about that a little bit. Because you, because what the problem is, um, when, when I was in, I remember being with my mother and shopping when I was a kid, and Canadians are all pretty buttoned up. You know, they're pretty mm-hmm. quiet and nice for the most part. I don't know what they're like now, but mostly they're really well behaved. It's a lot like Germans in that way. And um, so when the first time I saw an American person come into the store where we were shopping, they were like, hi, this is great. Do you guys have an eight? Do you have a size eight? Oh, it's fucking cold here. Holy shit, it's cold. Why do you fucking people live here? And I'm looking at this person. I love that person because they were so brash and so bold and so in your face and so honest. And I love them. And they were big and they were, and they just felt like, it felt like America was the place to go if you wanted to do something. Because unfortunately in Canada then, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't, they didn't have a whole bunch of ingenuity. So you couldn't go with an idea and say, I want to do a show or I want to do a stand up. I want to do something. They would just say, okay, well, yeah, we don't know. We're not sure. And they really hesitate. And the Americans just don't do that. So you, you, you saw that in them. You could see that was the way Americans were. You go across the border and you say, I want to be a stand up. Okay, great. Come on. But I got a club you can perform in. This is what they're like. And they're still like that. That's why I love them. I really do. I, I love Americans. And, and I have to defend them all the time here because people, here, well, see the news and they see Trump and whatever else, and they have a big opinion about it. And so I say, this is not this is not the America that I know. This is this is this is a nightmare America. Totally. I don't know. Unfortunately, you know, it's it, we're all we after these last four years, we're we're having to constantly defend uh, the country also. But hopefully, you know, hopefully we're back on we're getting back on track. But yeah, so when you go, you know, and I tell I want to tell the listeners too for anyone who wants is thinking of going into performing and. And being in this business, I mean, this book really does talk, show you how, when you went to New York, how, how it was being a, a female in the business at that time, which, I, I mean, we've, yeah. we've made progress, but, you know, yeah, yeah. it, it um, was quite, it was scary. It was scary, but, you know, there wasn't that many. I mean, there was, a, there, was a, there was a lot of women. There wasn't a ton of women, but there was women comedians. Some of them weren't being given stage time, and some of them, we're just in the standing and watching and afraid to go on. But it was, it was, and it had to really, I mean, it's changed now because like when you go to, when I go to London and I perform, it's a million women. It's a mm-hmm. million and million great female comics. And I guess it's like that in the States too, but that took, you know, it took 40 years to get to that point where, where there's, you know, uh, 20 women on a show instead of one or none. And so uh, in, in those in Toronto and I mean, in New York city in the late seventies, there was me and Elaine Boozler and maybe, um, three or four other women that I can think of that were doing stand-up. And that was kind of it. And Marjorie Gross, I don't know if you know Marjorie Gross. Is. Marjorie yeah. Gross was a yes. really great comedian, and she died of cancer in the 90s. But she oh. uh, was doing stand-up. And so, and, you know, uh, Chris Albrecht, who was at the Improv at the time, was really supportive. I mean, he su- was really super supportive. And he'd always put women on stage. But he put them on at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning when there was, like, five people there. So... It just took time to get good, and you couldn't right. you couldn't compete with the boys. It was hard. It was hard to get good time spots. But um, I, luckily, I had Mitzi Shore when I came to L.A. If I'd stayed in New York, I don't know if I would have done as much because I, the New Yorkers didn't really give you a break for a long time. You had to really work your ass off. And in L.A., 
because if Mitzi loved you, you got stage time and then you got to, to perform and practice and get better, you know? Yeah. And you talk about in, in the book, uh, you and I are the same. Ralph, by the way, is born and raised in LA. So for, for us, like the moment I came to LA, I just knew I was in the right place. Like New York for me was, I, I just knew I wanted to be in the sunshine at the beach. And you talk about how you fell in love with LA when you first got there and you knew it was the place for you. And, um, the thing is, you talk about too is like you know, at, at that time you were not out obviously, and you were, your act was sort of talking about your your dick jokes and well not dick jokes but straight jokes and yeah. um, and you you paint such a great picture of how it was trying to be to fit into you know the TV mold or what was appropriate back in the eighties. Um, yeah. At that time. Yeah, it was horrible because we'd go on TV and you'd do a five-minute uh, set and I'd, I'd be talking about, first of all, if you, you're not talking about shopping for shoes, which was so boring and so bland. I'd have to talk about dating and, and I couldn't talk about dating. And when I was able to come out finally, I can't tell you how great a feeling it was to finally yeah. just on stage in London at, at the comedy stores there and I talk about being a big dyke and being a lesbian. When I get to do all that material, my act is so strong and people love it because it's so overdue in me, you know, it's just like, it took so many years for me to have the courage to do it, first of all. And back mm-hmm. in the eighties, you couldn't do it or you'd never get a job and you just wouldn't get a job. And so, yeah, I couldn't say I was a lesbian. I think I did it a few times. I tried it on the road, but people freaked out. They just, they just were really quiet. And I thought, oh, fuck, I'm going to bomb. So I got to be straight if I'm going to have a good set. It was just, yeah, it was very strange. Mm. Well, well, you know, you, it's, the comedy store is is the place and um by the way everyone everyone should watch the docu series that Paulie Shore and his brothers did for HBO and I'm blanking on the name of it but it um Mike Binder I'm, did it Mike Binder Mike Binder's um uh, directed it it's called um I can't think of, it's a comedy store it's I, a comedy I store. know I mean basically it's all about the history of the comedy store and uh talk to us about how Missy Shore, obviously, who was the owner, she was really the person that helped you a lot and felt and loved your act. Talk about when you first, how you met Mitzi and how she changed your career, basically. I just came in. I mean, I just did what every other comic did. You know, I came to the comedy store and stood in line for like, I don't know, two hours, three hours with a bunch of other comedians. And then you get a number and then you go in and you do, I think you only had three minutes or some ridiculous amount of time. And I remember standing in the comedy store and thinking, this is so great. It was so dark. And at that time, I think people were even smoking inside. <laughs> it was all Yeah, smoking. probably. Yeah, and, I'm sure. Yeah. Everybody was smoking their asses off in the 70s. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody worked out because they were too busy coughing. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was amazing. So I'm standing there with my little number and I'm thinking I'm blonde. And I, and I was, you know, I was only 20. I think I was 23. I was wow. great looking. Then I was, Gorgeous. you know, young. And I came on stage and I just like did my stuff, but. I did okay. I don't think I did great. I did well, but Mitzi just liked me and lucky, lucky me. So she said, you know, you got to work on it. So it took me, yeah. I mean, if she hadn't taken me under her wing, I probably would have gone to the improv. I would have had to have found a club and it might've mm-hmm. been hard because that was it. It was either the improv or the comedy store. And if you didn't make it at either one of those clubs, you were performing on the street. I don't know what you, what you would do. <laughs> right. to get, it was hard. So I was very lucky. And, and all those years at the comedy store, I mean, it took me, it takes years to get good. You know, when I would walk those halls, I'd go every single night and go on stage and do 10 minutes in the original, then go to the main room and do 15, and and you just bomb, or you do well, or you bomb, and then you either get good or you don't, you know, and it, 
it reveals itself pretty quickly if you're good or not. But um, yeah, it was, it's it's hard work. I always tell people stand-up comedy is not a hobby. This is a job. No, it's a no. really serious, it's a serious job. It's a career and you can't, it's not a, you know, you can't take it lightly. If you're going to do it, you got to really, you got to do it seriously. Well, and that's what I mean. You People will see in the book, you really paid your dues. And, but what's great is along the way, of course, like all of us, in our lives, you met so many amazing people like you immediate, like you and Sandra Bernhardt uh, oh, yeah. connected early on. And then in, so really we, Lois and I, our connection is to the amazing Steve Moore. Um, yeah. Steve Moore is what Lois calls her gay husband. And, <laughs> and there's he a whole chapter. <laughs> he is your gay husband. I mean, there's yeah. a whole chapter in the book and, and Steve has talked about through throughout the book. For for me, I met Steve Moore, I think, at the uh, um, Marianne Williamson's Course in Miracles lecture. Wow. Do you, rem- do you remember oh, that yes. whole that whole oh, time yeah. period? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. God. And for a lot of us gay, gay guys at the time, it, it, we went there sort of, I, you know, we had been, we've been brought up in the South with organized religion. And, and we saw this opportunity, yeah. like, so, she, here was a, a, a single Jewish hip woman who you know was talking about jesus but in a cool way and anyway it really became like a place that we all kind of met met up and so from that i met steve and tom beards and jim j bullock taylor negron um pam madison carrie snow i mean all of these and so and i met you peripherally through steve because um, but tell everyone, if you can, about w- how you met Steve and what Steve meant to you in your life. Oh, man, Steve meant everything to me. I mean, Steve was, was every reason, he was the only reason I, I had a career. Because if I hadn't married him, I would have been back in Canada, you know, doing some, working at <clears throat> some department store angry and selling clothes <laughs> and, jokes and telling everybody they're too fat to be shopping. <laughs> I just would have been a bitter old dyke bitter such a bitter mess. party of one yeah i just would have been i would have been like yeah get your own if i'm gonna go outside and fucking smoke i would have been awful <laughs> so it would have been yeah it would have been terrible so yeah stevie moore i met at the comedy store because he would play the piano and i'd go on stage and then he would always play me on with funny music and we just got to know each other but when i decided to get married and i said to sandra i gotta find a husband she said what about steve moore sandra sandra is my still today my one of my best one of my best friends. I just love her. Oh. And I did her show last week. And it was, it was great. great, by the way. Great interview. Oh, did you hear it? It was fun, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She, she's so, I love her. And um, so she introduced me to Stevie and then, uh, then that was it. I just loved him. I went next door to his house. He was stoned. He was watching a Susan Hayward movie. And I said, I have to, go, I have to stay in the country. And he said, I said, will you marry me? She said, he said, sure, honey. Like he was just stoned. I wasn't even thinking about whether it, what it meant to his life, his life changing commitment. He just said it off the cuff. Sure, honey. Didn't care. And then the next thing you know, he's trapped with a big lesbian in his life. And married. <laughs> but, um, and then we got married and then the rest is history. But we, you know, he, he was with me my entire life. When the day he fucking died, I, I can't tell you. I was sitting here on my couch here in Germany and I knew when uh, a friend of ours called that that's what had happened. And I went outside. It was cold. It was May, but for some reason it was cold here. And I sat outside all night. I sat outside uh, my winter garden. There's a winter garden here. We have this big glass enclosed thing, but I sat outside for the entire night and cried. I cried for like literally 12 hours mm. and my partner kept coming in and bringing me wine. This is what's great about having a drink uh, culture. 
They just bring you, they don't say anything. They just go, here's a beer. Oh, here's some schnapps. Oh, here's some wine. Right. They just keep giving you alcohol until you're better. And that's, uh, that's the therapy, you know. But, um, yeah, he's, uh, losing him was just huge. And I think about him every day. And I think about Pam Madison every day, too, because we lost I her. I know, because we lost mm. her. And then, you know, Carrie's had her own health battles, health I know. struggles. It's amazing. Yeah. Ralph, um, you would have loved Steve. Steve was gay and unapologetic. And he was, um, yeah. he had these great big eyes and he he was so mm. hilarious and being southern mm. he and i would just and he had these uh, his parents were skeets and wilma two southern from virginia just characters <laughs> and but the the stories that lois tells in the book about going on the road together and yeah. the, the 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 homophobia that you guys would face in different clubs and the way you would have to really fight your way out and in clubs and, oh, yeah. um, it, oh, it was, and then, it was, yeah, it was yeah. bad. And in Denver, when they were had the, when in Denver, Colorado was the worst when they were saying faggots go home, uh, you're going to hell. Oh my God. I've never, I, I've never faced that in my life. And I never faced it again in my life. I never saw anything so vile and hitting the car with the, with the, with these posters and screaming and spitting at the car. And when we got out of the car and we went into the club, I was so scared. I got to tell you. And the, the gay men in that club were so amazing. It was, they were, we had police there as well. But I performed. I was, I, couldn't, I was almost hyperventilating. I was so scared. Because you could hear my voice. And when there was a break, you could hear, you're going to hell, rotting in hell. You fucking. I mean, they were screaming. There was, God, it had to be 100 protesters. And I thought I was going to die. I thought, well, if I'm going to die, at least I'm with a bunch of gay guys. This is fine. I don't care. But it was... Um, they were they were super protective and it was really it was I, homophobia like that directed directly at you like that vile was really frightening it was really mm. so and, I, and I, you know Steve Steve was very out I mean he he had no problem just standing up to it and oh, um, he was really one of the first male well I mean there was a few but I mean he was just always out and proud about his sexuality and being southern and. Steve was one of the yeah. so one of the first. He tested positive for HIV um, in the early days and talked about it in his act and went on to do this amazing uh, comedy special called Drop Dead Gorgeous, which yeah. really really was laughing at at his whole situation. Making you know you take the power back if you can talk about it first. Right. Um, so yeah. I, you know, we and Lois, you're you're so drop dead gorgeous yourself, and that's what's been. <laughs> I think that's what was always so great about your comedy is you were so beautiful. Here you are, this like stunning blonde, and yet you could just eviscerate people with your comedy, um, <laughs> nice. which was, which brings me to uh, sorority girls from hell. <laughs> yeah, oh, Irma yeah. Munson, oh, which. Which yeah. Ralph, I know Ralph was living, it's funny because Ralph grew up in LA, <laughs> but then he left and moved to New York so, nice. uh, and spent over 20 years there. But um, so, so tell us about how, how uh, <clears throat> Ir- Irma came about, because that really gave you, um, you were already making headways and getting in, you know, performing and getting on TV, but you really decided, how did that whole, how did that character come about and, and uh, the, 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 the popularity of um, that bit happened. You know what? That that bit came about in the in the clubs as an improvisation. I was improvising, and it came from doing. <clears throat> I was making fun of um, of horror films, and I started making fun of horror films and doing music and 
it was all like a one line bit. And then I started to expand it. And then I thought, I got to have characters. I got to tell a bigger story because I was just doing dun, 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 dun. If I heard that music, I wouldn't go in the house. That's all I, <laughs> I did. A little short thing that little at the end of my act. And it got a kind of a laugh, but the music got a, a reaction because I was going, oh, oh, dun, 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 oh, I was doing that. And they were going, holy shit, this woman is out of her mind. And then <clears throat> I decided that I had to create characters. So I started to create characters based on the movie Carrie. And I thought mm. maybe I'll sorority girls and I'll create this, this character named Irma. But there was a girl that I knew in school named Irma when I was a little kid. So I kind of put her in as a character and made her smart and kind of mischievous and brewing anger, a lot of brewing anger in her. And um, yeah, it just was an improv. And I did it on stage a ton, I mean, a thousand times before um, it was, uh, what's his name? Michael Nesbeth came into the club one night and he said, he's, uh, he was doing a special for NBC and he said, I want to do this as a video. And I had no clue. I was so nuts back then. I didn't, I didn't know. As long as it's next year, I didn't give a shit. I had no clue right. how important this video was going to be. And he said, I want to do it as a video. And my special, I said, okay, great, great. I had no clue. I went to the thing. I filmed it. The next day I went to Vegas and did a show. And then <clears throat> a month later when it aired, or when it aired, then months later, I went to the Revolver one night, a gay bar in West Hollywood. It's no, I guess it's not there anymore. And, yeah, I think <clears throat> it's gone now. But yeah, it was classic. Yeah. And it was playing and all the guys were standing there and they knew that every single line to it, they knew all the music. And when I walked in, they treated me like Elvis. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> oh my God, it's Lois Brown. I'm like, what are you guys like? I just came in for a beer. It was unbelievable. And then from that point, it just built up. So every time I would go somewhere and I would go to straight clubs and I would do it at the end of my act and all the gay people in the audience, whoever they were, would come to me afterwards and say, are you gay? And I'd go, yeah, but I don't say it in my act. And they go, Why? Because I, I can't work here if I say it's my act. But they knew sorority girls, and it just got bigger and bigger. And if it wasn't for the gay community, that video would have had that would have gone nothing. It would have just aired, and nothing would have happened. But the gay community really made it huge. They made it. They made it huge. They did. It was really great, amazing. I, well, I in it. I lived in Atlanta for two years before I moved here, and I that's where in the, you know, I got to know the video. So when I first met Steve, when he mentioned. Um, mention your name. I was like, "Are we talking Irma Munson?" <laughs> and that was sort of that was sort of the my introduction. And then you know, I was like, "Oh my God, she's amazing." So let me ask you: Back in that time, you know, in the '90s, of course, is when all the stand-ups were getting sitcom pilots and pilot right. deals. And were you were because you you were with William Morris and you were yeah. doing big acts and stuff? Did you did you venture into that acting side of doing pilots or being approached about? doing more acting as well? Yeah. I, I was, you know, what's funny. My agents were sending me out for movie roles and I wasn't getting them because to be honest with you, I didn't like acting and I wasn't very mm -hmm. good at it. I just didn't love it. And I took some acting classes and my teacher kept saying, you're good at it. And I'd say, eh, I'm not good at it. And I just didn't have the confidence to act. I didn't have, and I didn't have the drive. I didn't want to do right. it. And <clears throat> I just wanted to do stand up and I really loved writing. But um, yeah, I would go out for, they sent me out for tons of stuff. I just didn't get those roles. And um, I did some television. I mean, I did some Roseanne stuff, acting, but it was really small little, you know, tiny parts. And I guess right. I was okay. I was okay. But to be honest, I just didn't want that. And all the comics who got sitcoms, it just came and went, you know. It just oh, was there like were so I was, many. There were so many. Yeah. But it just died. It felt like they got them and then it just died. And then I just thought, oh, fuck, then, you, then all you are is your failed sitcom. And mm -hmm. I thought it's better that I didn't have that because – that just would have been the thing I would have had to have thought about for the rest of my life. And I, I'd rather not 
I'm glad it didn't happen. I mean, Roseanne obviously made it, and lots of other comedians like uh, Brett Butler, who did Grace Under mm-hmm. Fire, really well, and there was tons of them. But but like you said, tons of them didn't. It just came and went, and nothing happened. And so, yeah. was, Lois, yeah. I have three names I want to say to you, and I want your first reaction, okay? Okay. Lisa and Walter. I, I looked at her pussy every single day in the writer's room. <laughs> okay? Thank every you. Yeah, she's, every day. She's a dear friend of Ralph's, and I've gotten to know her as well. And I love her, I, but I, she would sit with her. She would, she, first of all, she was the kindest person to writers I've ever worked with. She never said a mean thing about writers. And I worked on her show. Fuck, what was the show called? Life's work. work. Life's work. Thank you. That's it. Life's work. And she would sit, and we would take notes. And she would sit on a chair with her legs crossed, but she never wore underwear. So you would sit, and, and you would look, and you go, "Oh my God, I couldn't stop looking at her. She had the best pussy. On the, I mean, she had a great pussy." So I I'm love it. Thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, "Who cares about your show? Take your skirt off." And it was just oh awful. Oh my God. You know? Yeah, she had a great pussy. So that's why I remember that. And then I'm friends with her on Facebook. But uh, she, she's, I thought she was very kind, and she was. The show was funny, but it didn't last yeah. long. Good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that anecdote, Lois. <laughs> You're welcome. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure she would like it, but I'm glad I told Ralph, it. Ralph, have you seen Lisa's pussy as well? I haven't seen <laughs> her pussy. I was more focused on her breasts. Oh, oh yes, got okay, great gotcha. Too. Yeah, she's you great know, looking. Yeah, I know. She's beautiful, too. So you guys are two beautiful women. You know, she That's talks cool. about, she wrote a book about the best thing about her ass is that it's behind her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. And, she, and she's working on a new show now uh, with a friend of ours, Cheryl Lee Ralph, a new okay. sitcom. For, she's back on ABC again. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. I didn't know that. Yeah, when I live in Germany, you don't know anything. You just know if the schnitzel's ready. You forget about the rest of the fucking world. <laughs> oh, God, that's great. Okay, what are the other names you're going to throw at me? You only have one. Is there any more? Uh, no, that was my... That was oh, my good. contribution. To, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, that was a good one. <laughs> well, well, it's a great segue because it takes us right over to uh, the, the most powerful woman, Roseanne. And you have, a great, you have great stories in the book about how you guys – you know, and again, to everyone, it's just a, it's just a, a lesson in life that you, you can't always make things happen. You just have to be in the moment, live your life. You meet the people you're going to meet. And – Roseanne, you met through the comedy store, right? Yeah, I met her through the comedy store. I watched her go on stage uh, the very first time, and she was so good. And then I just watched her become instantly – she was an instant success, literally. And so um, we worked in Vegas together, and we got to know each other, you know. And Pam Madison, actually, was. we were all friends, three of us. Mm-hmm. We, weren't, we were huge friends. Pam and I were very good friends, but Roseanne and I were okay friends. And it wasn't until – uh, when she got her show and I said, I didn't want to do stand up anymore. I didn't see any, I didn't see a future in it, even though there was a future in it. It turns out there still is. However, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to make more money. So I, I just asked her, first of all, I asked her for jobs because I had no money. So I would call her up and ask her, I need a job. Oh, you can't, I, I got a chauffeur. He's like, you can't drive for me. And then she'd hang up. And then I'd call back. Um, can you give me a job? I'm, I'm running out of money. I have no yeah, you can write fucking jokes for her. And she just hang up, like, in the middle of a thing. She just, she's so crazy. And so she helped me out a lot because I was really in trouble at one point. And, and it's just, I was, like, really down in my luck. And then I asked her if I could work on her show. And she said, no, because you have to be able to write a show. And I said, okay, well, I'll learn. So I remember 
I remember learning fast, going and looking at this book and learning it, and then just getting to just knowing how to you just learn it. You get in the room and you learn it. But it took a long time, and lucky me, I I turned out to be good at it. But I it was hard work, you know. No, and you talk about in the book too. I mean, just the long hours, and oh my God, all the all the food and the smoking and the drinking and the partying yeah. and and the yeah. but I mean partying not really, but just all the hours spent at the um, at the studio. You know, for actors, it's so interesting. You know, for actors, because I also produce, so I know it from the other side. But you know, actors just we show up, we go to our trailer, you know, we, we were pampered and most of us are assholes, but, um, no, but I mean, you know, so the hard work is all the work that, and Ralph is, Ralph has done a lot of, uh, four camera sitcoms. And so, you know, people don't understand how much work goes into, changing a word while you're taping and go, no throwing out an entire bit and trying something again. And you were there during the, all the press, you know, Roseanne was dealing with Tom Arnold and the marriage yeah. and the divorce and talk a little bit about just how that was on the work environment of being there. It was hard on the work environment because their relationship was so tumultuous and everything was a roller coaster. So it, it spilled over into, into, uh, the writing, obviously, and the time, you know, <laughs> everything that could have taken five minutes took five years. It just felt like everything was, the time element was stretched out. And so, you know, she'd throw stuff out because she didn't like it. And she wasn't always right. Sometimes she was. Sometimes her instinct was correct and, and she was right. But when she was wrong, it was hard because you would end up trying to please her and then you're writing a show that wasn't as good as it could have been. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. throw out good ideas and replace them with bad ones. And then but um, mostly we had good showrunners, you know. We had people like Eric Gilliland, who I love Eric. Eric was good. Rob Eulen was a good showrunner. And we had a great staff of, of writers. So we would find a way for things to work. But, um, yeah, I mean, we would, you know, we would sit there till 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes and then just go home for, you know, to shower and come back because wow. she, didn't, she just threw stuff away. And on the, on the set, people were scared. You know, you'd go on the set – and people were afraid of her. Everybody was afraid of her. And that was actually yeah. funny because everybody was afraid of her. And Tom would, Tom would come in and he's all coked up. Hey, how you doing? Hi, honey. Hi, honey. Hey, fuck, fuck. I need, I, I, where's the keys? Where's the keys? What car you got there? What car we got? She was, and they were both so crazy. And you had to wait for that to go away. You had to wait for all the dust to settle before you could do any business. But somehow everybody navigated it. Somehow we dealt with it. And it was okay. And the paychecks were fucking huge. So you sit there and go, yeah, I made this money. I'm fucking fat. I look like shit. My eyes are bloodshot every day, but I've got this money, and I would just give it to my girlfriend. I was so dumb. I was like a dumb guy. I just say, okay, honey, here's the money. I, just, I didn't care because it was just ridiculous money for what we did. Even though it was hard work, you still you're still sitting in a room with a bunch of whack jobs, and you're and you're you're doing crazy shit, and you're getting paid for it, and it was ridiculous. But Roseanne was hard on people. She was, but I always say to her, she made a lot of people rich. You know, she made a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Amy Sherman came out of uh, the Roseanne. Amy Sherman uh, did this uh, the marvelous, and she did uh, Gilmore Girls, right? Yeah, and she's an amazing yeah. writer. She would sit there and she would say in the middle of writing, "I don't think this works," and everybody would go, "No, no, it's good." She go, "No, no, no, this doesn't work. We have to change it." She was always right. She was always right, and she was brilliant then, and she continues to be brilliant now. So Amy was somebody who taught me a lot about writing, and she's a lot younger than I am. I think she's like ten years younger than me, maybe more. 
But um, yeah, it was, those were hard years, but you want to know something? I was so lucky to have that show under my belt because after that I could have, I could work on anything. So I was lucky. Mm. Well, and, and that's where, so, cause, okay. So quick story. I'm from Georgia. Like I mentioned and And at one point I thought, Oh yeah, I want to try stand up. So there was a club called Jerry Farber's uh, comedy club in Atlanta. And the, I went to, one night to watch an act and her name was Brett Butler. And at that point oh, wow. she had, she had just done her first tonight show and I thought she was one of the, I was just blown away by her because she was Southern, you know, she was crass, but she was smart. And, and so I was, I immediately was drawn to her. And then, you know, I watched her career go up the, the stratosphere. And so yeah. years, years later when I was in LA, um, DC Curry, who was a friend of mine, he, he did this, the, the uh, warm up for Grace Under Fire toward the last, seasons and I got to go there. So my, what I was going to say is you got to go from, I mean, you worked with her and then, you know, these yeah. are very, very uh, complicated women, should we say? Oh yeah. Very complicated women, but lucky me. And then Lisa Ann Walters too. I worked with her. I mean, I got to work with a lot of really, I got to work with a lot of great women and listen for them to be the stars of their show at that time period was not easy. They had no. to fight for everything. It had to be awful. They were called names. I mean, a lot of the, Women were just called bitches constantly just because they were the boss. And mm-hmm. if they made demands, they were, they were treated badly, you know, and that's the way it was. That was the sexist bullshit that circled around being a, a, a woman who had her own show, even though the network was making money and they wanted to have her, they wanted her to be the star of her show. They still treat, they treat them like shit when they make demands or make changes or, or have a voice, you know? So right. Yeah, Brett Butler went through a lot. She went through a lot. And you want yeah. to know something? She survived a lot of shit. She really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she and she and she. What I liked about you know she took a long time. She took a lot of time. Well, first of all, thank God she's rich as hell. Thank God. But she took yeah. a lot of time off, and then she's been back now doing some really good, like great character acting. You know, That's great. Um, yeah, doing more so drama. Glad. Yeah, yeah, and like, that was a great like. that was a great show. Uh, and did you the other thing just like with um, Roseanne? You know the 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 actors, the cast were so amazing. You know, so. Yeah. Roseanne was surrounded by such good actors and Brett was surrounded by a really strong cast as well. Did you know that my sister was on, on Grace Under Fire? She played one of the, um, remember the three Marys? Yes, that's right. Yeah. She was in the show for, I think a season, maybe a season and a half. And that's how I, I wasn't on the show when she was on, she was off. And then I I came on the last season and then the show ended the book. It ended. No, let me go back. Were you instrumental? I'm assuming, were you instrumental on Roseanne on the uh, the the lesbian storyline? I mean, you know, with Sandra Bernhardt's character and Mariel Hemingway and and that whole storyline. No, I wasn't part of that. I mean, we in the room we all pitched ideas for it, but it was written by Stan Zimmerman and Jim Berg, who are two gay guys who are great. Oh, I know Stan. I know Stan yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing writer. They wrote the, the I think I might've helped write some of it, but I don't think I got any credits. I think I was just pitching jokes, but um, I was in that episode as a, I was, I acted in it because you had to act in it. If she, if she told you you had to act in something, you had to do it or else you'd be fired. <laughs> I mean, it was true. She was just saying, you're going to be in the show. I don't want to be too fucking bad. That was it. So, oh my um, God. But she, I didn't have much to do with it. I mean, I, I might have pitched jokes, but 
I don't think I had, I didn't come up with the story because there was so many of us in the writing room. Everybody, you know, you had to, you had to really scramble to get your voice heard. So right. I think that must have come from somebody else or maybe even from Roseanne. I don't remember. It's too long ago. And talk about like uh, people don't understand too. You're when you, when you're on a show like that, you're dealing with the network, right? You've got pressure. You've got the network notes. You've got Roseanne. Yeah. There's always like as actors, Ralph knows this, like, when you know when you would do a run through, like when all the suits would come, when the suits yeah. come to a set, all of us actors are like scared to death because you know also a lot of actors get replaced like after a table read. Yes, you know? I know. Isn't that awful? Yeah, that's got to be terrible. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that happen. Actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember the guy on? Um, I always think of this guy. Maybe you know who he is. Um, remember the guy uh, who played the housekeeper on the Golden Girls, and then they realized that. Um, that uh, what's her name? Who was so the old? I can't think who played Estelle. Estelle Getty's was Estelle so funny. Getty. And they had this gay guy who played a cook. Their cook. I don't know if you know this, or if you mm. ever saw the beginning in the very first season of the Golden Girls. And they got rid of them. Exactly what you just said. They got rid of them. They saw uh. like after five episodes, gone. He was just gone. And yeah, it's terrifying for actors because he must have thought he landed the role of a lifetime in this fabulous you know, uh, sitcom with these incredible actor actresses. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, really, Ralph, really... Ralph and I know, I mean, we always, this running joke, it's like, they always say, you know, Jasper, they decided to go in a different direction. And I'm like, yeah, not my, not my direction, obviously, but they, 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 God. pretty much, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Um, they never want to say, I mean, I know sometimes, well, it's interesting. And that's another question for <clears throat> actors listening. Um, <clears throat> Well, now everything is self-taped, right? So everything is on. The producers watch the audition tapes. But back then, yeah. were you? Did you guys have any say? Once you were a producer, did you have say in the casting of like no, guest stars? The producer title was a writing title. And for uh, producing was a pay jump, and it was a writing title. And so you would have a room. You could run a room with other writers. I mean, you just jumped up a level as far as your knowledge of how to write a script and and. Uh, you could you could take over certain areas and write scenes with people. It was just your ability increased and your checks increased, but you weren't really actually producing. Sometimes you would get to sit in on casting, but not often. Usually you had to be you had to be the level of supervising producer or executive producer. And once you hit that level, then you were making bigger decisions. But in those days, there was only one executive producer, and that was Roseanne and and the head writer. That was it. There was no other executive producers like today. Now I think in shows there's a ton of them. You'll have like mm-hmm. six of them. Instead of having staff writers, you'll have all exec producers writing shows. And in those days, you had story editors and you had beginners. So it was really, it was nice because everybody got to learn, you know. And it so would, there would, was, would Roseanne have like the final say on the casting of guest stars, pretty much? Uh, sometimes she would depend if she gave a shit or not. If she really cared about <laughs> the show, she might right. say, oh, I don't like that, I don't like it. But um, mostly she, she knew pretty much what was going on from the beginning. So once the casting had happened, she was okay with it. Sometimes I don't, you never know what you never knew with her, you know, you just didn't make eye contact. That was the best thing. So you never knew what was going on. That's but what I, I had. Friend, I had friends that were actors on the show, you know, they guest starred and they were like, it was always like walking on pins and pins and needles. They were, you know, yeah, always was. scared. Yeah. But she, but she was, you know, she was okay with me. me. I mean, when I went to her house and we got invited to parties, she would laugh and she'd say, uh, uh, you like the show? You like making the money? I said, yeah, it was fun. You don't have as much money as I do. I said, no, I don't have as much money as you do. Thanks. So, thanks. <laughs> and, 
And then she'd tell me how much money she had, and we'd laugh. And I'd just think, oh, okay, Rosanne, good for you. Well, you know what? Cash a check. Go to Ralph's Market and cash a check, you fucking asshole. Oh, my so God. Like, remember the day, the days we had to cash checks? I mean, yes. Remember not, the not, not, no, no, I know. Can you believe it? Cashing checks. Oh, God, that makes me feel so old. Cashing a check at, at the grocery store. No ID. No ID at all. Just, okay, I live up the street. Oh, thank you. Right, and then, then, then I, you could you could make the check for more, like twenty five dollars <laughs> more, if you need it. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> when you're buying, yeah, twenty five dollars just bought nothing. I and mean, now it buys nothing. It buys like some milk and cigarettes if you're still smoking, or beer or wine or something. Yeah. But yeah, it was really it's really weird to think back to that. And that's what Sandra and I were talking about. How, God, such a long fucking time ago, we would go to this place called Ben Frank's on Sunday. Yes, yes, show. Oh God, it's just so old. Oh my it's God, now it's, it's now a uh, male diner, which is basically Ben Great. Frank's, just re, you know, a nicer version. So, um, well, oh, listen. Nice. So how? So from how did you say? Tell us how after you. What was the last show you worked on? In um, uh, in Hollywood, the last show I worked on was. Oh, that's a really good question. Let's see. Well, it has to be. Uh, uh, let's see, 1995, I quit Roseanne because my mother died. And oh. then I came back from Grace Under Fire, and then went from there. I did, Amy, I did a show with Amy Sherman. There's a whole bunch of shows that didn't get picked up the series. The last show must have been Brothers Keeper. Okay. Brothers Keeper. Uh, but this has got to be, I don't even know the year. I can't even think of what year it was. Um, I don't know. You know what? I don't even yeah. know the year. Oh, I don't know, because then I started doing a script doctoring. So I would get a script, mostly from Canada, and then I would script doctor it, make some money. So I was working at home a lot. And then I wasn't getting, you didn't get staffed because reality TV took over. So there wasn't a lot of sitcoms. And I couldn't write drama. And the, a lot of my writer, writing friends started writing drama. And I was like, I just, I can't write an hour without a joke. I just can't do it. <laughs> and so I tried to do it and I couldn't. And then I just decided, you know what? I got a job offer. I had a few years of really trying to figure out what to do because I loved LA and I wanted to stay there, but I didn't mm-hmm. want to stay there and do a job I hated. And so right. I thought, I'll go, to, I'll go to Toronto and run this show, and it was really fun, and then I'll go to New York. I'm really glad I went to New York. I love New York. Now I love New York City. Love it. Oh, I miss it. Because well, you went, you went back like a totally different person almost. You know, like your, the, the life experience and the career you had, had already forged for yourself in L.A. Yeah, I'm sure going back was like a – now, how did – so how did you – and how did you make the transition to Germany? Where did the <laughs> Germany trip happen? <laughs> Germany trip. You know, I'm writing a book about Germany, and it's going to be really fun. It's a, a little bit shorter than what I wrote, or maybe it'll be the same length, but it's really funny about how I lived here and how I can't, you just can never fit in. You never can fucking fit in here. It is so hard. And because the Germans, I mean, the thing they say about Germans not having a sense of humor is, is really actually true. It's really hard to pry them open. They're very closed. But um, I met Andrea, my, my, my partner, <clears throat> online, and I looked at her. I was like, oh, my gosh, she was the only woman not wearing a ball cap. You know, she was so great looking. And she just was so interesting looking. She was a widow. Oh, my thought, God. She's a widow, and she's gorgeous. And all these women are like, hi, my name is Bob, and I wear, I'm a 40, and I'm wearing sneakers. I'm dressed like a 14-year-old boy. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I'm 56, and I like walking at the beach. You should go drown yourself first. You should just go drown yourself. <laughs> I met Anne, and she's beautiful, and she's a widow. And I'm like, wow. And she's looking for friends. I'm like, she's looking for friends on a lesbian website. Yeah, she's, she's totally straight. 
And uh-huh. so, and when I, you say I, widow, was she married to a, a man before? Yeah, and he died, and I thought he killed. Okay. She killed him. She didn't. So that was all talking about for a long time. When I met her, I said, I said, when I met her in person, I said, so your husband died. She said, yeah, he died. I had a heart attack, and he died. And I said, did you kill him? She said, no. And ever since then, every year at her birthday, <laughs> no, I didn't kill him. So, um, but so then I met her, and we we got to. She was living in New Jersey because she was working for this German company. And then we met, and I just, I completely fell apart when I met her. She was so great and smart and interesting and great looking. And, and she's about six years younger than me. And then uh, she had to go back to Germany. Her job ended, and she went back to Germany. We'd been together maybe, maybe almost a year. I thought, fuck, she's gone, you know? Mm. And I went and visited her, and I came back. I came here twice. And then um, I decided, you know what, I'm... I'm going to go, I'm just going to live there. I can write anything I want to write. I can do that. I can do my stand up again. And I just figured it out. And I've been here 10 years. Been here almost 10 wow. Years. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's amazing. My, my career in stand up has sort of returned because the London scene is so big and Munich and Berlin is great. So lucky me, I get to do my stand up and I get to write still, but stand up, uh, I re- regenerated that whole part of my career. So it's nice. So had you, I was going to ask you, so during, uh, when you were so busy all the years writing TV and producing, were you able to do any stand-up at, at all, had, or had that sort of had to take a back seat? It sort of took a back seat, but I did some. I'd go to the comedy store and perform, but I was mostly too tired, you know? Yeah, just tired yeah. And so you, you, were rich, you were rich and tired. I wasn't that rich. I, so I blew through my money like crazy. Hey, by the way, i got to <laughs> tell you something completely different, because I'm going to forget. My partner... I'm sitting here and I'm saying, uh, I got to do Jasper's show. And she said, who is he? And I said, he's an actor. He's done a ton of movies. He's done tons of stuff. And she goes like this. So she says, let me look and see what he looks like. So I put your picture up and she went, and she's staring at you. And she goes, I know him. And I said, what do you mean? I know him. I know that face. He's great. He's done so much. I love him. And then she knew you. And I was like, you know. Oh, my God. It fucking blew me away because Anne doesn't watch a whole lot of TV, but she knew you. She knew you. Oh, it, it, well, tell her. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you. You know, I, I, that's sort of the, that is sort of my career. It's like, I know that creepy face. I don't know his name, but I think I've, <laughs> I think I've seen him like kill somebody over and over again. But, but I don't think you have a creepy face, but you have a great face. I mean, you're, you're obviously, when you walk into a room for casting, you must get cast immediately if you're on the right, well, the right job. It's well, thank good. you. That, tell her thank you. I, I hope to meet her. That, that, my question was too. I know you said on uh, Sandra's show that you you guys hope to get back to New. Well, now that we're kind of post getting past COVID, yeah. will you travel back to the states? Um, yes. At some point, yeah. Yeah, I will. I'll come back. I'd like to come back this time. I'd like to come back <clears throat> at Christmas time a little bit because I love Christmas in New York City, and I want to come back again maybe in April of next year and stay a little longer. Um, because I have to see my friends, you know, I miss everybody. And some of my friends last year, they came to London to visit me and it was great. I performed and we had fun. It was, it was great. It was like two weeks of fun, but, um, yeah, you, you know, you get homesick, even if the country's a mess, you still get homesick. So well, you, you're, you and Sandra, you're going to have to do a show with, uh, with Sandra. You got, you know, I you guys that. would be great together. She, um, we have a great place here called Oscars in Palm Springs. And that was the, that was her last live show before the pandemic. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. And it, it's an intimate, you know, it's probably, I don't know how many seats, maybe 500. But um, it, it, you would do, you would 
as they say, you would kill at Oscars because uh, I think, first of all, I think every, it's, it's a, when I say older, you know, there's, I think people would know you, obviously they would know Irma Munson. It would be a hoot to have you come. And I know, I know the owners of the club, so we can, we can talk about that down the road, but um, I think you would would do, you would do great. Um, And how, how is family? Do do the family, Valerie and your brother, do they come visit to Germany? No, they don't. Matter of fact, they don't. They're pretty, no, they don't. They don't visit. Um, I see them on uh, Zoom and yeah, my family. It's not yeah. even a fun conversation. My my brother uh, lives in Toronto, and he's a brilliant writer. He writes novels. He was a director. And my sister lives in Massachusetts. And we we, we don't see each other mostly on Zoom. And yeah. uh, when I go back to New York, she you know they're both in their seventies, and for some reason they're just not visiting. But I, oh no, I, I'm sorry, that's wrong. My sister came here actually twice in the ten years I've lived here. She did come here, and I took okay. her to. I took her to Berlin and I made her drink a beer on the train at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was great because <laughs> the trains here are so great. The train travel here is so amazing. I don't know if you've been to Europe, but it's, it's so different than the U.S. Trains oh, are yeah. fast, really, really nice. And so at 10 o'clock in the morning, people are drinking beer because the beer is really good. So I got her a beer. <laughs> she got so fucking sloth. At, by 11 o'clock, she was like, I fucking have to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mess. It was great. But, um, I yeah. love the trains in Europe. Like, yeah. you know, if the train says if they're leaving at 10.02, at 10.02, you see, you feel the train leaving the station. It's so amazing. It's just like, wow, they don't play. He's it's right. Like, that's, that's exactly right. If it's at 10.02 and you're at 10.03, you've missed the fucking train. You're out. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's like self-tape deadlines. It's like, sorry, bitch. <laughs> I don't, you can be running for the train, girl, but that shit is moving. <laughs> Listen, Lois, I wanted to ask you, going back to Roseanne, when yeah. she was under all the scrutiny for her racist remark how, and getting fired, how did you feel? Just what were your reactions? Um, I, I was really shocked, to be honest with you, because all the time that I worked with her, I never heard her say anything like that. I never, I never knew Roseanne in that way. So I don't know what happened because we're friends on, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, but we don't have conversations that we're not, we're not like buddy buddies anymore. Right. But we're still connected, but, but vaguely. And um, I never knew her to be like that ever. So when this hat, when this happened, I was really, I was really shocked. So something happened to her. I don't know exactly what, I don't Mm -hmm. know. But that's thank a shame you. I don't yeah, get it. thank you for that. Yeah, and I like your answer too because you've already explained to us and Planet Eartha how body she is and how scared people were of her. And yeah. so you're a very good testimonial in the sense that you saw her at her most raw. And yeah. if you never saw in with that rawness that was there with no racism, you do, it makes you go, what did happen? You know, why did you go so far the other way? Yeah. I don't know what happened to her. It was just, it's just a strange, like another totally different person because she was never like that. I mean, yeah, she was brash and bold. And I think it came mostly out of security because everyone, I mean, the network, everybody, you just didn't know who hated you. She didn't know who were. So she had to be like that, I think. And sometimes it was overdone, but mostly it was, I would maybe would have done the same thing. I don't know if I was in her position, but I never, ever heard a racist remark from her mouth. Never, nothing, not even a sexist remark, nothing. So, you know, just saying, you know, get the fuck out of the way and that's not fucking funny and stuff like that. But 
she would never say anything else. No. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that. Sadly, that's kind of what this whole Trump, the four years for a lot of us, we, a lot of people that we are thought we knew in a certain way surprised us, be it family or friends or, you know, and so it's it's just like, uh, and and I always say the work, the best part of Trump was he kind of shined a light on, on the real darkness of what's in some yeah. people that we didn't know was there. So, but like yeah. you said, the great thing is she was good to you. She changed your life. She changed your career. Oh, yeah. And, um, well, Lois, listen, we, I swear to God, I could talk to you for the next five <laughs> hours. I mean, th- thank you so much for giving us this time. And I want everyone to yeah, please, please get to get your book. And we can't wait to, to read your next book. And I, I hope you will come back on when, when that is ready as well. I, know, and so, I hope I get to see you one of these days in person. Oh my God. Listen, I, get I, would, I would love to see you. And if you, like I said, if you, you know, when you're out this way, I go back to LA all the time. So it's like a, a hundred mile drive. So I know, it's um, a great I'd love to yeah. see you. I want to, I want to say also hi to Bruce Dent. I don't know if you were, I, Bruce I Dent was him. a dear, yeah, a dear friend of Steve Moore's and Jim J. Yeah, Bullock. Yeah. Jim J. lives out here now in Palm Springs also. Oh, he does? Uh, yeah, he's out here, and also nice. Brooks Ann Hayes, who was a dear friend of. Uh, I know they're they're listening um, tonight, and they all send their best to you as well. well I want to say. Okay, thank you very much. This is so nice, you guys. This this interview was so easy. This was very fun. Thanks. Well, oh, thank listen, you, Lois. You're the best, and we'll be in touch. And and okay, have a great great. Thank you, thank Lois. You. Take my, care. Bye bye. Yes. What a great interview, Ralph. Who she is? She is so much fun. I love. Yeah, and it's so. Like I said, when I'm reading the book, I mean, I, I there are parts in there. She talks about Warren Beatty. I mean, she really had so many experiences of like meeting famous people and you know Warren Beatty trying to fuck her and it's just it was a time in like you know there was it was just that time in Hollywood mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s that were kind of a special special time but yeah I love the fact that she's worked hard and she's enjoying her life in Germany and she's got, she's got this whole new chapter now of um, the next chapter as we call it so I look forward to to having her back on and 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 Ralph, how are you? How's everything? How's life? <clears throat> everything is going fine and smoothly, and you know, create transitions are happening, and you know, we just keep plugging away. I am uh, was talking to a good friend yesterday, and with all these reopenings happening, yes, you know, it. it there is a sense of relief, but I am still cautious and I'm going mm-hmm. to still aim that way. Um, I am going to, re- you know, I was saying when I return back to law, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I do sporadic errands that I have to do, but when I really am having to leave to go do something, I want it to be going to a set to work. You know, I am, um, I am not antisocial, as you know, but uh, that is a more of a priority than meeting people to go out to dinner. Oh, absolutely. Right. 
for me because that going out to dinner, yeah, that'll happen. And um, I've let down my guard with other vaccinated people. You know, it took me a little bit, to, but it's only been with the caregiver. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's going to take me some getting used to not having a mask on around other people, mm-hmm. even though vaccinated you know and i know all the pros of being vaccinated and all of that and i'm not quite like the stickler i shouldn't say stickler i'm i'm more knowledgeable about everything now you know like you've always said nothing is 100 percent. yes right right armed ourselves with what we can do just like you were saying you're not quite ready yet to hug and kiss people Mm -mm. just even though you're vaccinated and standing outside you know so um Although I will say, um, my, you know, like I, I, my, my dear friend Monique and her son were here and they just left today. I mean, we hugged because I know we, we've all been vaccinated. We hugged, but I want to tell a quick anecdote. Just uh, so last night we went to, um, a, a, one of our favorite Italian restaurants, but we have not been there during the quarantine at all. We've ordered food and we went in and the owner and his wife are, you know, probably in their fifties, um, uh, Italian couple. And so I was talking to her. She's masked, of course. They're all masked. And I said, oh, wow, it's so great to see you and to be back here. And um, I guess it's great. All all of us are all vaccinated. And she said, well, my husband and I are not, but the rest of the staff is. So, Ralph, you know me, like I froze in my tracks because we're like on our way to the table, right? And mm-hmm. um, I said, oh, she goes, no, no, we're really, we're not going to get vaccinated. And I said, oh, can I, do you mind me asking why? And she goes, we're just really afraid. And I said, afraid of what? And she goes, well, our next door neighbor got the Johnson and Johnson and he collapsed on the floor and had to be rushed to the hospital. And I was like, oh God, see, all it takes is that one experience, right? And I said, oh, wow. He go, I go, well, is he okay? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's fine. He survived. And I thought, okay, well, I know it's scary to think of collapsing. I said, but she goes, and then I hear all the people talking about their, the side effects of the second shot. And I said, well, it's not life-threatening, you know, but my point is I suddenly realized that's two people in their 50s who run a restaurant in Palm Springs. There's got to be millions of people, other millions across the country who feel that way. And that's why certain states, people are not, look at Alabama. They only have like a 3% vaccination rate Mm. that people are getting vaccinated. And did you see all those doses of J&J doses are going to expire because they're not getting used after that blood clot oh, threat. Wow. Yeah. So it was, you know, again, and then, you know, just to, to keep it real, a friend of uh, Donna's, my sister-in-law in Florida, her, her friend's husband was fully vaccinated, got COVID and died last week. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So the point is like you just said, I'm tagging on the fact we, we feel better. We still have to be careful. We still have to wear masks around people. You know, there's always going to be that percentage, you know, we don't know. I don't know the story. He could have had major immune system problems. You know what I mean? I don't know what right. what he was dealing with, um, but there's always going to be those stories. But the majority of us are going to be okay, which is yeah, what's important. It's, 
the thing that is awkward that I'm I'm starting to feel is that when you find out someone is not vaccinated, you immediately there's a, a there's that immediate feeling of like get away from me, don't be near me, you know, and it's it's such a weird kind of feeling, you know, like these people that have been having to come to the house, I have to learn how to be more polite because I'm like, hi, are you vaccinated? And, um, <laughs> you know, and I'm, you so, know, and just like, we're going to, it's like, we're going to put the letter on them, you know, the scarlet letter. I know it's such a weird thing because like one guy came yesterday and I didn't like the way he answered. I mean, I'm wearing a mask anyway. I'm wearing an N95 mask. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm still going to be masked, but like, just the way people answer me, you know, you don't know who's lying or, you know, whatever. Right, but right. The, the, I just feel like the thing that makes it weird is that whether you're vaccinated or not, you could still have this disease, mm-hmm. this, this virus. So just because someone says they're not vaccinated, I shouldn't immediately want to get away from them. But the reason why my impulse is to do that is because scientifically we know that when you are vaccinated, you have reduced greatly the chance of it being attached to you. Right. So the virus being attached to you. So that's why we're all like, you know, um, being told that it's okay to be with people that are vaccinated. but, But if you think about it like this, Prior to the vaccinations, we all just assumed everybody had it, right? I mean, we there was no – we had to protect ourselves. So, like, when when she told me she wasn't vaccinated, she was wearing a mask last night. So the fact that she had a mask on made me feel protected. Like, mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she goes, she goes, we haven't gotten sick. We've made it through this whole 15 months. We, we were very careful. And I guess my whole thing is, like, if – if people aren't going to be vaccinated, that's their choice. They're the ones that are really putting themselves at risk, you know. Um, you guys were uh, eating indoors? Yeah, but the funny thing is we were literally the only table. Like we had private dining. There was mm-hmm. nobody else. No one else ever came in the, uh, in the restaurant. So, yeah, we were the only ones. And the, the wait staff, they kept their mask on. The, 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 the owners kept their mask on. Um, and like, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be traveling on Tuesday on Monday. I keep saying Tuesday, I'm traveling back to a state that's actually had about 30% vaccination, but I'm literally going to the airport. I'm landing. I'm getting in a town car. I'm being driven to my dad's house and I have no plans to go anywhere the whole time Mm -hmm. I'm there. Right. No. So it'll be kind of safe like that. But you know, we're on to this next this next chapter on the fifteenth um, next Tuesday. The, all the mandates are lifted in California, and so you're going to be seeing a lot more people not wearing masks. But a lot of businesses can still make their own rules. So most yeah. of the, I think most of the grocery stores are going to probably keep. Although the Trader Joe's out here has stopped their mask mandate now. Oh really? So yeah. So people- unmasked in Trader Joe's out there? You know, it's interesting. Even though um, they've stopped the mask mandate, I didn't see one single person without a mask. Oh, okay. So that's people still taking upon themselves to want to be masked. So I was encouraged by it. I mean, that, you know, I like that. 
But that's where we're in California. I don't think it's going to don't forget places like Florida and Georgia and Alabama. They're not wearing masks now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're like the anomaly. If you have a mask on, people look at people like you're the, you kind of stand out. I don't really care. I'll be wearing my mask on the plane. Now, why is there this whole big discrepancy with Kalosha and wearing a mask at at the workplace? They're trying to stay in line with CDC, and then, like you just said, uh, businesses can do what you know. Each business can mm-hmm. do what they want. Um, why is there such a, a a turmoil about this whole? I mean, people are well. So from from what I what I saw in the news about Kalosha, they are doing a thing where if you're vaccinated, um, you you don't have to wear the mask at work, right? But if you're unvaccinated, you do. My problem with that is, if you're not asking people to show their proof of vaccination, like like you were saying to me when a caregiver shows up, I I would not have a problem asking them to show proof. Mm-hmm. If they tell you they're vaccinated, say, do you mind showing me your card? And I mean, I, I know. Yeah. I mean, you can do that as somebody that's. I know the service can't ask that. Right. But I would I would think you could as the person that's bringing them into your house. Oh, I can definitely ask them, but I the, I didn't go that extra step and ask for their card. I just the way I you know I said, are you vaccinated? And the way they answered gave me the assurance you're with this agency. We're all vaccinated. You're the lead nurse. You know that get, that was the confidence, and that could be a false sense of security. But um, you know, conversely, another person that showed up. When I said, are you vaccinated? And he said, what? And I said, are you vaccinated? And he said, oh, yeah. Um, I didn't like the way he answered. You know, the. Well, are they are they keeping their mask on, though, when they're there? Oh, yeah. I mean, he. Oh, OK. Come. I mean, that's he he, I, that's great. I mean, I think as long as you have the mask on, um, I because I, a lot of people think, well, they're vaccinated, so they'll take the mask off. You know, as long as there's still mask, I think you're fine. Well, yeah, and the, he didn't come into the house. The first person did come into the house and had to be around Rose. So I felt confident that she was telling the truth. And she said, because oh, – Well, wait a minute. The second guy, did you just turn him away at the door? He wasn't – he didn't need to come in the house. Oh, okay. He was, he it, was making it. a delivery. But, okay. um, but, you know, the nurse I trusted because it's like, you know, she's wearing her ID and, yeah, you know – it's, we, we keep going each step. Prove that you're vaccinated. Okay, here's my card. Now you have to say, well, is the card legitimate? You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's always something, you know, and yeah. then like those breakthrough cases like, you know, when we hear um, fully vaccinated, got COVID, died, that's all we hear. We don't hear like, but he also was a hemophiliac that had, right. you know, or diabetic or but, yeah. HIV or, he, yeah. Or, just some hor- other horrible underlying illness right. that made that happen. And just like the restaurant owners, you know, J&J, they collapsed, fell on the floor. It's like, okay, um, but how are they now? They're oh, fine. fine. You know, it'd be different if they said, oh, he passed away. Then it'd be like, okay, I can see why you're cautious. But, like, look it up. We got the J&J, you and I, on the same day. Then a month later or three weeks later, Rose got hers. And then five days after that, five women got blood clots, 
you know, right. so it was like, oh, great. You know, now I have to worry about that for the next few days. And we've all gotten through that. So, well, I mean, um, I, I can I can think back to the HIV AIDS medications when those all first came out. I mean, trust me, there were horrible side effects. People were sick. You know what I mean? There were a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of bumps in the road. And uh, yeah, so there's always going to be a percentage of people who react. I mean, I told you about <laughs> the, shing- the shingle shot. I was down for two days. So. Right. Like I was thinking when I see you again, I, and Dennis, I, I could <clears throat> I could see myself sitting at an outdoor scenario. Well, that's why I said when I, I wanted to just come to your house. So yeah. like if we're out in the yard or in your dining room, I feel like, okay, I could remove my mask now. Uh, that would be absolutely and deal with you guys. I mean, I'll interact and we could be less than six feet apart because we're all vaccinated. Yeah. And I'm just. I'm using that that sentence that that um, that proclamation of we are vaccinated to hopefully stand for and hopefully we're not going going to get it or be spreading it, you know. So um, I mean, like, you'll see because I've gotten very comfortable with that. Like we 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 have several friends that have come to the house for dinner now and once you once you've all been vaccinated yeah we don't even require mask at all i mean because there is that sense of of um safety and and like i keep saying if the vaccines are really doing their job even like a bill maher who tested positive you know even if we were to test positive more than likely we're not going to get sick from it Mm -hmm. so we're not going to get sick, but it's interesting. Part of me was thinking, even though I've been vaccinated, I was like, maybe I'm just curious, you know, I may go get a um, COVID test at CVS today before I leave to go home on Monday. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, right? You know, I, I just wanted to see, right. just to make sure, just to make sure that I'm not positive since I've been yeah. un- unmasked outside and around people. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. I mean, that's the thing that's still the sticky wicket to me. The word vaccinated, some people interpret that to mean that they are invincible now, you know, mm-hmm. because even like my mother's doctor's nurse, I was like, oh, God, do you guys do COVID tests? And he goes, she goes, you don't need to get tested. You're vaccinated. And I'm mm. like, well, that's not the right way to look at it to me, you know, because I haven't gotten tested again yet, but um, I, you know, It'll be I, – I will feel more comfortable returning to set now knowing that I'm vaccinated and they do that stringent testing. You know, and during the pandemic, that stringent testing still made me nervous because we didn't have a vaccine and mm-hmm. productions were getting shut down all the time. You know, right. and look at Mission Impossible. When we – you know, and that's the other thing. These, some of these words are so charged. When you hear the word COVID, it's immediately doom and death. Like, what, right. What, how else are we supposed to think when over a half a million people have died from it? So when you hear that Mission Impossible has been shut down again, you know, because someone – Well, especially after – remember Tom Cruise went on that tirade. He went on that rant a few months ago. I mean he he went on – it went viral. If you Google Tom Cruise ranting about COVID, he he just blasted the entire crew and set one day because apparently – People were not staying in their bubbles or whatever. Hmm. And now the, 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 the and he got a lot of criticism for the way he treated people. And now the irony is it, all that ranting and raving and the set got shut down anyway because mm-hmm. 
people, you know, tested positive. Well, Canada, Canada, you know, Canada has only had 8% vaccinations. They've been, they're really behind. They didn't get the vaccinations when we did. And I'm working with a Canadian company and my friend just booked a guest spot on a Canadian show. So when you work in Canada as actors, you have to literally quarantine in your hotel room for two weeks. And when I say, I mean, you're not allowed out of your room. They monitor you. You can go on your balcony. All the food is delivered in. You can't go outside for walks. You cannot leave your hotel room for two straight weeks. And, but they're lifting that on the 29th. And my friend, my friend's last day in quarantine is on the 29th, but see, starting their production is lifting that quarantine now. So that's a sign that I feel like this, like Denise is about to start a project and my other clients been on a project. There's no more having to get tested before you go to the set. Now it's just you go to the set and they test you on the the morning of. In the past, we were having to get two and three COVID tests leading up to the first shoot day. Mm-hmm. So now it's just going to be the morning, the day of. And if you work a whole week, like if you're booked for a guest spot, they only test every three days. It's not every mm. day now. Mm. So Because of the vaccinations? Well, the vaccination and they and it, they think that it takes, you know, three to five days for the for the antibodies to show up. So, but being vaccinated is the whole key. So I want to, as we come to a cl- closing here, I just want to encourage everyone listening, because we have listeners all over the world. You know, I want people to just know that when you can get it, please get it. The side effects are very minimal. There, it's like having a bad cold, or you'll be tired. It's nothing to be afraid of. Just please, please, please get your vaccinations, everybody. Yeah, but, some um, people have no reactions. I mean, you and I had no reaction. Rose didn't have any reaction. You no. know, it's like your arm. I, I, didn't, like, I didn't even have the – remember, I didn't even have the sore arm. Well, actually, my arm got sore like a week later, which is bizarre. But um, other than that, yeah, we didn't have anything. So. I mean, I had a little bit of a fever and aches and pain, but it was so minimal. It was like and, – and those symptoms that I did experience, I was grateful for them because that let me know my immune system was working. That was a great sign. Point. That's you a know. great point, Ralph, to tell people, right, that's it. If it, if it, if you should hope you get a little bit of a fatigue or something, because it does tell you that the, uh, the vaccines are working for sure. Yeah. Right. And well, even if you don't listen, get, oh, go, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, no, yeah, just, just to, so we always go full circle with our points. And if you don't get a reaction from getting the vaccine, that's not to say that it didn't work. It still worked, but everybody's body is completely different. Just like right. why dentists get food poisoning and you don't, and you guys ate the exact same thing. You know, everybody's system just does something a little differently. So, yes. you know, uh, people that have got a blood clot, people that really were out for two days, you know, like at Pack Oaks, you know, he was saying, God, the second one, I was, honey, I was out for two days, you know, and my friend's son uh, slept for 15 hours, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like we're all different. But yeah. oh, speaking, I have to say, speaking of Pack Oaks, Ralph, I went to the gym on Sunday and I got to see Lou, Lou oh, from great. Pack Oaks. 
who I've not seen for 15 months because the only time I normally would see him is when he's here on the weekends. Occasionally I might see him at the, at the gym. And it's so funny because I'm already, I'm still a little, when I go to the gym now, I'm like, it's all kind of set up differently. So I'm all, you know, thinking. And then I see this guy on the elliptical and he's got a hat on and he waved to me and I waved to him, but I'm not really clicking as to who it is. And then all of a sudden I realized it. And we had this like big, you know, reunion. And he said, how's Ralph? And I said, Ralph is great. I said, he's, you know, he's going to be venturing out soon himself. And it's, you'll see, you'll see as you start to get back out, it's almost like running into people again. Like we've all been on some sort of like desert Island, you know, and we're back home or something. So, well, listen, Ralph, thank you so much as always for another great show. And, uh, we're we're going to be taking a break um, next week. I'm going to be in Georgia, but we will be back on the 24th. And in the meantime, please listen to our archive shows. And uh, this today's show, of course, will post immediately on all the platforms. Thank you, Lois Bromfield, again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe, and we will be back on the 24th. Bye-bye, Planet Eartha. Bye. Thanks for checking out One-on-One with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube.